The planet is heating up. The oceans are becoming filled with plastic. Change starts now. Change starts now. We're on a countdown to zero waste. Five, four, three, two, one. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. Here's your host, Laura Nash. everyone and welcome to the ZWC. Today we're speaking with Jasara Lee. She is a New York City fashion designer and she is all about sustainability. Welcome to the show, Jasara. Thank you so much for having me, Laura. So let's talk a little bit about your your fashion label. And uh, I see something on your website that you're getting into wedding dresses, which is amazing. And they're so beautiful. Um, but let's start a little bit about why you started a sustainable fashion uh, label and some of the problems that you see with fast fashion that you want to solve. Okay, so... Basically, I've been um, designing clothes since I moved from Brazil to New York. So I came to study and then started my own label right after finishing school at FIT, the Fashion Institute of Technology. And so that's when I started my journey. And I've been around for the past 30 years, believe me or not. (laughs) It has been a very challenging 30 years of career uh, because... I actually have a small company, and um, as you probably know, and your listeners do as well, it's very much of a, of a, an industry based on economy of scale. So, if you make a hundred thousand of the same style of clothes, you will have a much less um, expensive product to to, to manufacture. Yeah. In terms of the fabric, they you buy things in bulk. You get one pattern made for all that you know the same item. But uh, but we did the opposite, completely the opposite. And actually, we went very much to the extreme where we do one offs and wedding dresses, as you mentioned. Thank you so much for the compliment. Is one of them. It wasn't always like that. When I first started, I you know I had a collection. And we had a wholesale operation where you, you know, you book orders uh, for these uh, different collections that you present every year. And uh, but I still had all the production done locally in New York City, and we exported fabrics because most of the fabrics were out overseas, mostly in Italy. In our case, but this was still. Um, you know, in terms of size, it was still considered small because even though I was doing wholesale and, and you know, selling to department stores across the country, the United States, oh, wow. which is a pretty big country. And then abroad, we had a pretty big following in Japan because they love fashion. And, you know, start here, start in Hong Kong, start in good. But anyhow, it still was wow. considered small because... Right after that is when things kind of exploded and then, it, it, you know, the whole fast fashion took over. So in comparison to that, we were still small. But when fast fashion really took a huge part of this, this industry, I was already going into an even smaller scale than when I first started, you know, wholesaling clothes. And I actually shut down my wholesale 
um, operation, and I started to do custom clothes. And that was the best uh, decision that I made at that time because there's no way you can compete with fast fashion. Like I said, it is an economy of scale. So they were making so much, and they still are making so many units of the same items and just doing all these different styles and prices that were so low because they externalized most of the cost by putting the brunt really on the environment and and the the human um, labor. So, and when I say externalizing, it's because they paid very, very low salaries at, uh, you know, and, and they usually outsource these kind of labor to countries that have a very, um, a very poor reputation as, as, as far as human rights and, and workers' rights is concerned. You know, the, the, the conditions of, of that environment was also terrible and there were horrible consequences. I don't know if you're aware of what happened in Rana Plaza a few years back where, you know, the, the factories are all, all cracked, you know, the, the ceilings, the floors, and, and they, you know, they kept telling the management that until one day the whole thing collapsed. And, you That's know, the was, ceiling. Yeah, when the roof collapsed, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and they knew. Like there were there were people who knew about that and you're right, they wouldn't do anything about it and then a lot of lives were lost. It's very sad. So um, sad, exactly. So yeah. yeah, so that's the human and then the environment, you know, that don't necessarily have um lawyers to to defend them, you know, so they they abuse that too by just uh, putting all the um the chemicals that are produced during the the production of this massive amount of clothes into the oceans and the rivers and and whatnot. So anyhow, back to my journey, I I also thought at that point, I think I was already 10 years in the business. I just thought, you know, I make collections every season, you know, and I feel like people don't really need all these clothes that I'm making. So that's when I started to question the, the the value of what I was doing and all the effort that I was putting into coming up with these collections. And, uh, and then it just kind of only made sense to make less and spend more time on each piece and make them even more special so people would cherish them and take care of them and wear them with pride and yes. uh, yeah and like if maybe the a button falls off they don't, don't just put in the uh, donation bin but they actually fix it or the lining gets a little bit uh, worn out on the inside so you can change it so that kind I wanted to create that kind of relationship with the clothes people think oh I want to be in a certain price bracket and then they, they make so many compromises to squeeze into that price bracket. But I, I actually stopped doing that. And I said, the price will be what the price will be. And, and because I'm making less, I don't have to convince so many people that mm-hmm. uh, they're actually getting a better value for that price, which is high, than you know, them buying all these clothes for a, much, a little fraction of it but maybe they wear it a couple of times and either the thing falls apart or they just don't care about it because they bought for so little so they can just throw it away. It, it really is more about uh, doing something that uh, you do it for love, you know, for, you know, to, to put your creativity into something that you feel very proud of in the sense that um, you're not uh, destroying the environment by 
you know, putting your collections out or expressing yourself. You're not uh, creating um, over amounts of, of clothes in people's closet, which is also not a good feeling to just know that people have all these clothes that they don't even wear. I don't want to mm-hmm. be one of those clothes, you know? I don't want to be the one behind one of the clothes that are just stuffed in somebody's closet and then they just finally put, you know, because they don't wear. You know, you think about uh, where the fabrics that you are creating your clothes come from and how they were processed, how where did they grow? And, yeah. and uh, you yeah. know, how would they die? How did they come out with that color? And then you start thinking, oh, that doesn't sound too good. Or, okay, that sounds all right, you know. And then you make your decisions based on on true facts. And and you just have to be a little bit more, you know, curious and, and, and investigate things as opposed to just take things as they appear to be. Um, so... Yeah, so that's sort of like how I I am where I am these days. That's awesome. That's amazing. Do you have any examples of any kinds of fabric that you've sourced that's sustainable or any dyes or anything like that when you're looking for fabrics to start your design? Yes. In fact, you know, you can be an ideologue, but nowadays it took a little bit of research and whatnot, but nowadays... I do uh, use fabrics that are like cotton, that are grown from seed to shelf in the United States uh, organically. And then they are dyed with natural plants and, you know, roots and barks. And, you know, like, and we have a a number of them that uh, will give you all these different beautiful hues. You get so... Uh, enamored with the colors that come out because you don't quite know exactly what color it will be, <laughs> which is also very interesting. Um, there is always that surprise element, and it's so Whoa, different. So, so you actually dyed it yourself? I have a friend who is in Philadelphia, so nice. that's very close to us, and she has a, a proper setup for it. And she dyes all my organic cottons and wools and whatever I get my hands on that are locally produced or within the United States. And, you know, she uses matter roots. She uses the indigo flower. There is this beautiful uh, plant, lac extract that, uh, you know, will give you this sort of like a beautiful um, berry color. So she does that. And, and that was a great finding, too, that I, I got to her. And she's right here in Philadelphia because that's very close to New York. So I visited her. So we have a relationship with the people, you know, everyone that was involved on the making of, of a T-shirt, let's say, <laughs> as opposed to just buying something that you don't really know how it was grown and, and, you know, or that comes from um, across the oceans, which is, you know, a little bit more carbon footprint that i would like to to have just to to ship it like so all the things you talked about with labor and the dyes could be going to the river and you're using fossil fuels and all this stuff but then yeah just getting it here on the barge is a a big carbon footprint so if you can get things more locally but but there are some things that are grown overseas that are you know pretty sustainable and stuff and a lot of it does come from from over there it's cool that you have a friend in philadelphia that uh that's doing natural dyes i've done a couple shows with people from philadelphia i went down there um for a conference and i was really surprised not to see a zero waste store because 
there is a good sustainability crowd there, there is. but but yeah i didn't see uh they don't have one yet so i'm sure that'll come soon to the city i hope so right yeah have you been to lauren singer's shop in brooklyn yeah, she's a dear friend. We have, oh, really? uh, yeah, we have dinners together sometimes because my sister, we are from Brazil, right? My, my, I have a sister who has a Brazilian restaurant. <laughs> nice. And Laura and I, we love this appetizer. It's a yuca, it's a, it's a deep fried yuca <laughs> stick. Yep. So we're always <laughs> like, okay, when are we going to have the yucas? <laughs> um, but I like what she does. Yeah, I was, I was happy to go and see her store a couple years ago it was pretty neat to see yeah and she has it all like sort of like display and the other person yeah. that's sort of our carolino trio that i love is zero waste daniel do you Yay. know hey on the show i visited him too it was great yeah he's awesome i commissioned him to do a bruce lee with all these um, fabric scraps that he works his magic and it's so cool you can totally see that is bruce lee <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's a, a good scene down there, I think. Um but you're so you're doing wedding dresses and I have I haven't ever talked about sustainable weddings. I've never talked about sustainable dresses. Are you like the only person who's into sustainable uh wedding dresses? Or um tell us a little bit about this because I, I just love it. Like the dresses are just beautiful. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I don't know if I'm the only one. I don't like to claim any kind of title without making sure, but it is definitely a harder field to do these zero ways because traditionally, we, you know, women, when they're about to get married or men, when they're about to get married, they want something that they, they have this idea or they have some clips and they have whatever because, you know, we do custom, right? So they come with these ideas and we have to, we have some limitations in terms of the fabrics because, again, you know, if I can, I prefer to use piece, piece silk, which is silk where the, the warm is not killed. Um, oh, after. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, like, I, you know, as I said before, you can't be an ideologue because there's nowhere in the United States that produces silk. We don't have, we don't have that kind of industry. So I do have a company in India that does the uh, piece silk for us. We call it the um, the Gandhi cotton, the Kadi cotton, because it's all made by artisans. Like the whole fabric is uh, woven by hand by very traditional tribes. And it's quite expensive, which I think they should be. But there are limitations. So people, when they come for the wedding, they, you know, sometimes they want this sort of uh, drape or, or a certain look. Um, and, uh, and, and the fabrics are a little bit, dresses are determined by the fabrics, right? So the way they, they're going to drape and all that. So I have a little bit of, uh, you know, like sometimes I have to work a little bit the, those angles. But um, we've made some beautiful dresses out of it. So there's no chemical treatment on this silk. Like I said, the, the warms, they don't kill the, the, the warms. And it's made in a very artisanal uh, scale. I add another value, another environmental value to it, and it turns out to be this beautiful detail is there's absolutely zero waste. So all the leftovers, the little scraps, they are turned into uh, textile again. And and I apply a lot of uh, hand stitching. So we have actually it was a collaboration with, uh, with this wonderful designer who, who does uh, hand smocking. So she took all my scraps, 
of silks and laces and whatnot. And and then she did this um, texture. She created texture by smocking them. And then we put them, like, you know, we do a lot of mosaic, a lot of tiling, where we put all these pieces into to create textile. And like like uh, Zero Waste Daniel does? It's like Zero Waste Daniel, but a different technique. Like, this, this, yeah. this technique is called hand smocking. And, and what uh, Daniel does is stitching, right? Like, he does a lot of the surging machine, and then he stitches all those yeah. knits together to create a shape or whatever. Yeah, the things that you make are really beautiful. And do you do a lot of things for like work, you know, like working clothes, like people have to go in the office every day and they want to look fashionable and they might need like a blazer or something? Do people exactly. come in? And- so that's what we do aside from wedding dresses because it's really like the day they wear. So it's shirts, jackets, trousers, skirt, they're very classic and they're very basic. But the the construction that we are, we use is through uh, tailors, like menswear tailors. So they make all our clothes, and these are you know men. Most of them are Italian or Eastern European old men because it's a very old tradition, and they make these clothes by hand. And it's just like the way you look at a jacket that is hand tailored and a jacket that's sewn by machine, and you might not see. Because the, the difference is not so evident, but you put it on and how it goes around your neck and you, the sleeves just has a little bit of a shape like that follows your arms. Your armholes are high, so you can actually move and everything is fitted, but it doesn't feel tight and you feel yeah. so composed. And I actually have clients that say, oh, when I wear your jackets, it makes me have a better posture <laughs> Oh, nice. because it's highly structured. Mm-hmm. And that's probably, I am probably one of the first, if not the only designers that make, that use menswear tailoring for women's clothing. It was very hard to convince these tailors to make women's clothing because women have bust, waist, hips, whereas men is just like a block, right? Like it, it, it doesn't go up and down, in and out. So we had to develop, I, I, you know, this was a, an old uh, Italian tailor. I had to get his hours were like he usually wakes up very early he's in the office at five o'clock in the morning at two o'clock he's gone so i would come with espressos and be like okay mr Ciccarelli, can we now work on the pattern <laughs> for weekends and and that's how it was like pulling teeth but uh, but i i broke into that boys club and uh, and was able to come up with a beautiful a fit for 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 jackets for women's jackets women's coats and but but still maintaining the the, the foundation of of the tailoring of men's tailoring so mm-hmm. that's quite lovely so we make tuxedos sometimes for you know lesbian uh, couples like they want to be sharp and be wearing a suit or a tuxedo as opposed to a dress so mm-hmm. we make them so lovely and those are pieces that you can have forever. You, you should always have one good jacket as opposed to 10 horrible, mediocre ones. <laughs> a jacket is very, very uh, important to be, to be hand-tailored. I do think it's not an indulgence. It's almost like if you're going to have a jacket, it, it better be a hand-tailored jacket. That's some really good advice, yeah, because it's it's very versatile. You can wear it with skirts and pants and uh, and different things. So and it just makes you look really professional if you're exactly. going to exactly, yeah. You can even put it over like, like I don't know um, sweatpants, but still you, you <laughs> kind of puts it all together. 
totally. Yeah. You know what's so funny about because you mentioned like the difference between men and women. Like men typically in politics and whatever are always just wearing the same style of suit. And then women have like so much more of a playing field, I find, where they yeah. have so much more freedom to wear professional looking clothes, but it's not just that rigid suit that the typical man would be expected to wear. So right. women can wear all different sorts of things. But sometimes that can be a bigger challenge for women as well who are in politics or who are in, you know, these high levels where they feel they have to dress really, really, I don't know what the word is. Sharp? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like they feel that they, you know, they want to feel good. They want to look good, that sort of thing. Uh, so yeah, Jack, it's a, a good piece of advice. Do you have any other advice for other people and um, that are listening who maybe want to have sustainable pieces like a jacket is a good idea do you think people should have like a piece of like maybe one formal thing or or I think, um, no getting dressed to me is is sort of like you want to look put together you don't want to put too much effort into it i i get dressed really fast because i don't want to spend time figuring out what i'm gonna wear i just want to every whatever i have in my closet i want to put it on and always look sharp so whatever you have in your closet should be that way you have a smaller selection reliable selection because if you have your eyes closed you're not in the mood that day to put a look together whatever you pick up it's gonna do the job so so i think that's important to have fewer you know and it's it's been going on forever this whole minimal approach to clothing but it really works my closet is so small and people always say that i i, I look really dressed up but you would not even believe i don't spend like even a minute getting dressed but my biggest uh, you know my biggest um recommendation and I, this might be make me very unpopular is to just let go of the leggings i just can't stand leggings and it's so ridiculous <laughs> you know it's so cold it gets so cold in new york city right <laughs> oh it doesn't matter the girls are all wearing <laughs> leggings they are so thin and and i find them so unattractive and and like you know when we were talking about what is the 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 role of clothing is for you to get out there in the world and and look dis decent and you know so and look presentable look sharp look attractive and i just can't stand the leggings and also they're all made out of synthetic materials and they go they're going to be you know sitting on a landfill forever just like with the, with the plastic bottles and and all the plastic caps and whatever they're going to be hand in hand with those and and there's so many so many of them that people go through so it's the synthetic materials that they come from and where they go they don't go anywhere or they get incinerated which is going to create a lot of uh, pollution and, uh, and 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 it's just the look of it. It's not. It's like maybe it's only good for little kids. Anybody else, I think, looks really horrible. <laughs> Even if you have a cute bubble butt, you don't want to have to expose it that way, you know. So that's my opinion. I have clients that show up sometimes with legs, and I'm thinking, oh, I wish I could tell her. So I'm telling it, you know, through the radio, <laughs> through you, Laura. Now, and also like you're probably. You know, you're trapped inside these synthetic fibers that don't breathe. It can be good. And you're doing exercise and sweating. So all that all that pollution that your body is, is putting out through your skin, it gets trapped between your skin and the synthetic materials. It can be good. 
So that's my biggest takeaway um, in terms of that. But, you know, back to the fun part of uh, getting dressed, a white shirt does, uh, does help a lot because you will always look really sharp in it, uh, whether you put the jeans or whatnot. And, mm, you know, yeah. and mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that look. Yeah. Um, so so you went to the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York City. So I always like to ask people on the show how you got into sustainability, but then also how did you get into fashion? Like, were you a little girl and were you making dresses on Barbies or like, how did you get into this? It's so funny, Laura, that all fashion designers seem to have a, a, a doll story and I'm not really? different than them because I had a doll. I was about six years old, and uh, and that she was my first victim. So I would make her clothes from like the, rag, <laughs> from the rag, the pajamas that were full of holes. I would just turn that into something. And the interesting thing is that uh, I had my, my, you know, my best friend that we always played all together. And somehow we had a tiff, and we weren't talking. And I put this super cute outfit on my doll that I made out of I remember it was this little pajama that was just so threadbare but I made it I don't know what got to me it just looked so cute so I go and I buzz her and I show it to her and she was like oh my god and she wanted to be my friend again (laughs) so I was like there it goes there where the power of fashion lies and and from that point on i realized that uh, it's a it's a pretty powerful uh language it's a pretty powerful way of uh, communication so mm-hmm. so i got into it and and my mom being a K- korean uh, she's very much into education and and she was an immigrant in brazil but she had the vision to to send me abroad to study fashion because we didn't have any uh, university level schooling for fashion design at that time now we have plenty of them but now when i was um 16 and trying to figure out what i wanted to do with my life so uh, she was a little bit scared that i would end up as a beach bomb because i love the beach <laughs> and i was always hanging out with surfers on the weekends and she's like oh my god this is not gonna this is not going right and and she sent me to new york and i had that up this great opportunity and and then i ended up staying and getting married and having a child and opening my own business and the nice. rest is history. That's amazing. Do you ever design anything for your child? I do. Well, when she was little, the, 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 the tradition I had is like every birthday, I would make her an outfit. Oh, that's um, so nice. So I, yeah, so it's so cute. So I have a box with the, with the little outfits since she was a year old. And then it became more like, you know, for her prom, I, I made her dress. I will definitely make her a dress when she gets married. She's 27 now. And she is in a, a serious relationship, so we'll see. But um, but also we have very different styles, so I can't really make her everyday clothes. But that's uh, that's how it went with my 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 lovely Malka, my lovely daughter. Yeah. So next one is going to be a wedding dress. 
That's so exciting. And you're, you have the best company to do it because your wedding dresses are, are beautiful and sustainable, which is so amazing. So this is really cool. It's so cool that years ago I got to talk to Zero Waste Daniel and then now I'm talking to you and you guys seem to be, you know, these famous fashion designers in New York City who are doing things so sustainable and focusing on it and really into it too. Yeah, I actually think the best ideas come out of the necessity Sometimes if you don't have the funds to start making clothes and whatnot, you can start thinking, well, there is so much ways where people just like throw away clothes. What if you are or like bed sheets, for example, you know, everybody throws mm, away yeah. the bed sheets because they get, you know, tattered and whatnot. So that all of that has opportunities, so many opportunities in it. You can take that bed sheet, give a nice cleaning, you know, nice wash do a beautiful uh, natural dye and here you have a huge piece of fabric for free pretty much and then you can start coming up with something beautiful from that piece of cloth that piece of cloth which was a bed sheet that was going to be discarded so i think there are a lot of opportunities if people just think outside of the box instead of thinking mm-hmm. oh the f- a fabric has to come on a roll from somewhere that you know and and actually look at the, the source of, of the where it all starts, which is the fabric, you know, and then start thinking about where you can get that from or create textiles out of things or, that are already exist. Yeah, you can go to thrift shops, I found too, and find really nice, like, I found a curtain one time that was really nice. And oh, I love shops. It's like my favorite thing because you all you find so like cool. you just find things, right? They're like, Oh, my God, this is amazing. <laughs> Yeah, and it's so much variety, what you were saying in the beginning of the show, that it's cool to have unique pieces because if you just have, there's like 500,000 shirts that are all the same, it's not uh-huh. as special, but you can still find special things in the thrift shop because there will usually only be one of them, right? Exactly. It's so special and it's so fun to find something by accident. I love it. I love the whole experience. So where can we find you? So com is your website, right? That's correct. If you want to check her out on Instagram, too, it's uh, uh, just Jasara Lee. So thank you, Jasara. This has been really great. It was a pleasure talking to you, Chilara. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. That was Jasara Lee. She is a sustainable fashion designer in New York City. Change starts now. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast.